Uh, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I won't be preaching today because we have a very special um, guest preacher uh, from our own staff. Pastor Dennis is going to be preaching today. Uh, Dennis is um, a pastoral intern who joined us recently, and today he's going to be sharing with us not only the word, but he's also going to be sharing with us his testimony and story. And maybe you've noticed that at Mosaic, all the staff uh, members, we've been sharing our testimonies with you. And maybe you've noticed as you've listened to our testimonies that, wow, (laughs) there's real brokenness um, in the lives of our pastoral staff. Uh, We're not church leaders because we were born good, obviously, um, as you listen to our stories. Um, Pastor Dennis, uh, he serves in the welcoming ministry, and as you hear his story today, you'll see why welcoming has a very special place in his heart today. This is his first time uh, presenting the word to our church, so could we welcome him with a warm welcome as he comes to give us God's word? Thank you for the introduction, uh, Pastor Dave. Good morning, Mosaic Church. Uh, thank you. <laughs> My name is Dennis, or I go, I have a nickname actually, it's uh, DJ. A uh, little bit about myself, uh, I was born in Korea. I came here when I was uh, nine years old. I JFK'd uh, just from Korea t- and landed in Queens, uh, New York. For the first few years, um, we, me and my family, we lived in a pretty uh, rough neighborhood in Queens, and, and my mom worked extremely hard to get us out uh, and move us out to the suburbs. She did not want me to become like the spiky hair, uh, little gangster Korean wannabe, you know, wearing like the white t-shirt and the black pants and all of those things. So I, I wasn't part of uh, Oriental Domination Society uh, with Pastor Doug. I met him here. Um, but we were able to move out to the suburbs of Long Island which is where I spent most of my teen years. After majoring in criminal justice, um, by the way, don't major in criminal justice, not the best major, uh, we went into, I went into the police academy uh, to become an NYPD cop, and upon graduating from there, I was assigned to a precinct in Queens. After a few years on patrol, I was doing plainclothes undercover work. It's really an honor and privilege to share God's word and my testimony with you today. Let's get started. We're going to be reading from Exodus 33, verse 3 to 5, and jump down to 15 to 19. So turn your Bibles, if you have, to Exodus 33, verse 3. Go up to a land flowing milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord has said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Please go down to verse 15. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. 
Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I just want to talk about how God's presence fills the deepest needs of our lives and that greatest need is that we can't live without him. The backdrop of what we just read is that God hears the distress of the Israelites who were in captivity and enslaved by the powerful Egyptians of that time. God, in his mercy, would free the Israelites from slavery and captivity and deliver them out of Egypt. Sending, you remember the sending of the ten plagues, God performing miracles to set them free, and parting of the Red Sea, as well as destroying the powerful Egyptian army. And led by their leader Moses, God would protect provide and bless them along the way. And he even makes a covenant with them. If you remember, this was the promise that he made on oath to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac to bring the Israelites into a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey. All good stuff, all great stuff. But despite all this great stuff from the Lord, the Israelites break their covenant with God. They commit sins, or what the Bible calls is a great sin, which was that they erected a golden calf, and they worshipped it. They forgot Exodus 20, the second commandment, which goes, You shall not make for yourself an image in form of anything in heaven above, or on earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. But they did make for themselves an image, and they did worship it. God calls them by a perfect word to describe their actions, uh, and, and he calls them by uh, this word, stiff-necked people. It describes how stubborn and rebellious how, how, how be, they have become. Now, notice the, uh, the symbolism here. They worshiped a bull. If you picture a bull in the natural, how it is very stiff and it's unable to move and it's very stubborn and it has a stiff neck. And the people had imaged God, the God of creation and everything in it, to a mere beast, an animal. And as the biblical uh, saying goes, you become what you worship. The Israelites had become stiff-necked people. In spite of repeated affirmations to God, yes, God, we will follow, yes, God, we will do what you say, the Israelites renege on their promise and they break their promise with God. Also notice uh, more symbolisms on verse 4 and 5, and no one put on his ordinance. Their relationship, their covenant is over. The cheating and the infidelity that had taken place has now uh, broken uh, the relationship that the God and people had together. The removal of the ornaments is symbolic of the breaking of that relationship. God, rightly so, is enraged by this betrayal and complete disregard for his faithful works to his people. Such great sin and betrayal towards God should deserve the harshest of punishments. The only right judgment is death. But God does something unfathomable. He, while the uh, Israelites were unfaithful and deserving death, God does something unthinkable. He shows them mercy. He shows them mercy on account of one man, Moses. In our text, Moses is pleading with God to come with them and not to leave them. Verse 14, the Lord responds in this way, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The word you there in the original language is singular, meaning Moses alone would enjoy God's presence, and he alone would have rest from God. 
So Moses responds in verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He says us, do not bring us up from here. Moses, Moses is saying, I won't go without you. I, I need you to go with me. I won't go not without you. The crazy thing for Moses is that he could have had godly rest. He could have had godly peace. He could have had all of these things that God was saying that he would give him. But he has such tremendous love for his people. He says, I and your people, in verse 16. Not just him, but reminds God, these are your people, God. So compelling was his intercession that God relents not only from the immediate destruction of the people, but relents to all of Moses' requests. God responds in verse 17, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight. Why? Why does God do this? Why this certain shift in God's uh, thinking? Think back to um, when you are a child. Every child has this dream. I remember growing up and I had this dream, but we didn't have enough money to, to do this thing. But what's your dream as a child? That dream is to go to Disney World. Every child loves Disney World. And maybe some of you still love Disney World, and we'll pray for you. We'll cast that out later. <laughs> Disney World claims where dreams come true. So you see the price of Disney World, and it's a nightmare on your wallet. It's expensive. Sophia, um, adorable, she's up there. Sophia wants nothing more to go to Disney World. And Dave, being a loving father that he is, wants nothing more for his daughter to be happy and to fulfill her childhood dream. So he desires to send his beloved daughter, Sophia, to Disney World with his unlimited Chase Sapphire credit card. <laughs> Sophia is super excited. She's jumping up and down, and, and, and she's elated. She can't wait to go. It's where her dreams will all come true. But as she's about to Uber to JFK to her flight to Disney, she pauses and says, Daddy, Appa, you're coming with me, right? We're going to go together, yes? To which Dave replies, I cannot go. I have church duties. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't have church. <laughs> I cannot go, but as I promised you, you will go, Sophia, my beloved daughter. I made a way for you. I booked the room tickets, and you have my unlimited Chase credit card, so you could enter into your beloved Disney World. Sophia asks, but who would I go with? Daddy, but you have to come with me. You have to come with me. You're my appa. You have, you're my daddy. You have to come. It's young Sophia's lifelong dream to go to Disney World and to meet with Mickey and Minnie to get on the fun rides and spend uh, Dave's credit card and eat whatever she wants and all of these things. But she says, I won't go without you. Not without you. Disney World, she's like thinking in her young mind, but no, not without you, Daddy. For Sophia, she knows ultimately she would rather spend her time with her daddy, and that's the most important. She knows that her dad fills the deepest needs in her life. Now imagine you're the parent. You're the parent. Imagine your child saying this to you. I won't go without you, dad. I won't go, there. I won't go without you, mom. Hence, the father's heart melts. So this is why, this is why there's a certain shift God relents and gives into Moses' request because, and his presence will go with the Israelite because the Heavenly Father melts on the account of one child, Moses. Moses knew that God's presence fills the deepest needs in his life. 
I want us to uh, stay a little bit on Moses here. Moses had come a long, uh, a long way. I mean, look at verse 18. Moses said, show me your glory. If you remember, he wasn't always like this. He was a murderer. In his anger, he committed murder. He was a coward. He had started running away. But the confidence now he has, the, the boldness to ask God, show me your glory. And God responds, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. By this time, Moses is a great man. As a matter of fact, one chapter earlier in Exodus 32, he even uh, intercedes on behalf of his people. He says, but now if you will forgive their sins, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. He asked God to blot out his own salvation for the sake of his people. Hashtag commendable. But as, as great as this may be, Moses is merely just a man. He's not enough. He's mortal, just like us. He's fallen, broken, and he cannot save anybody. He's in need of salvation himself. He attempts a noble deed to save his people uh, while asking God to blot him out. But again, he's only a man. He needs salvation himself. But there would be one who, in fact, is blotted out. Jesus, with his perfect, inter- his perfect obedient intercession, would save his people for eternity and proclaim them in his name and bring them into the eternal land of heaven, much better than any land with milk and honey. Jesus shed his blood to purchase our right standing with God by willingly dying on the cross, thus satisfying our deserved wrath. Old Testament Moses was not enough, but rather just a foreshadowing of the second or the perfect Moses to come, which you all know is Jesus Christ. Now, every single one of us here, uh, we can experience his presence through our Lord Jesus Christ. God's presence fills the deepest needs of our lives. This story um, really resonates with me. The Israelites uh, shown mercy, undeserved mercy, and God's presence, even though he shouldn't have, he goes with the people Israelites. I told you earlier, um, I was a cop for the NYPD. I was very successful. I was an undercover cop, um, having been, been involved in probably about 2,000 arrests uh, in my short career. Um, I think I still have the most arrests as a Korean-American cop in the history of the NYPD. Um, had you come to my living room back in the day, I had my living room fully decorated with uh, accolades and awards from the police commissioner and, and community leaders and politicians and the neighborhood and so on and so forth. But in my closet, I was a raging alcoholic. I was a womanizer. I was reckless, arrogant, violent. I had a gun and a badge and power to do whatever I wanted. I was young and stubborn, living a life of sin. You know, I didn't need God. I was the God of my life. I, I lived as though I had the S in my chest, super cop. I'm the man up in here. I'm the police. King Kong ain't got nothing on me. But as with pride and arrogance and life immersed in sin, one day I would lose it all. The wheels of my life fell off. I would get jammed up, as we say in the trade. I would get trouble. I would get in trouble with my job. The NYPD suspended me and took my gun and shield away, which is, was my most treasured uh, possession. The golden calf that I worshipped was my job and everything that came with, with it. And now all of my gods were ripped away, crumbling. 
No amount of money, connection, or my own powers could save me from going down into the pits. No one to turn to, no hope, not even an ounce of hope, and nothing to hold on to. It got so bad that I wanted to end it all. I wanted to kill myself. I wanted to eat my gun, as we say in the trade. That night, when they took my gun and shield away, I did the second best thing that I do. First thing that I do best was arrest people. Second thing is I got drunk out of my mind. I was desperate for something or someone to come and save me, to get me away from the situation, the trouble that I was in. That night would be a faithful night. That was my first encounter with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Six in the morning, driving home drunk, um, I heard a voice saying, you're done. <laughs> you're nothing. You might as well just kill yourself. You're never going to recover from this. You're going to bring shame and dishonor and disgrace to your family. I started to get that sinking feeling that this thing, this bad thing that has happened and will continue to happen, and there's no way out of it, that it will never stop. And the voice continued. It said, you got life insurance. You pay a lot of money for that life insurance. Well, you might as well just kill yourself. You claim to love your mother. If you really, really love your mother, then you might as well kill yourself because at least you'll, you'll set her up with the payments. You'll set her up with the money. You're a bum. You're a nobody. You're screwed. See, there was two major problems with this. The first problem is this, that I was drunk, so I allowed the enemy access because I was drunk. And the second issue is that I allowed the enemy to speak lies, and that I touched and agree with the lies of the enemy. Looking back, I knew he wanted to come and kill, steal, and destroy my life. So I started to think, I was in a brand new Lexus, I was doing very well for myself, I was making a lot of money, doing a lot of overtime, so I said, I'm in this new car, it's very safe, so I needed to pop the airbags off. So I'm going to hit into a rock or a tree and pop the airbags off because I can't die if the, if the airbags are going to come off. I was like, you know what, life is nothing, YOLO, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory like they do in K-pop, drama. So as I was preparing uh, to ram my car, um, and to kill myself, another voice, quiet and yet powerful, so different and distinct from the other one. And it said, I got you, son. It's going to be all right. And I said, who are you? Son, you don't call me son. I'm Dennis Kim. You don't know who I am. You must not know about me. You must not heard about me. You don't call me son. I'm older than you. I'm your young. I'm your older brother. You better call me. You better call me young or whatever the case may be. I got you, son. And the voice said, it's going to be all right. I got you. Man, I'm not listening to that. Who are you? You don't talk to me. I don't even know you. Who are you? You're not God. What happened next was this deep ache in my heart. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. That deep down in my soul, I have this pain, and I, and I get this image, right? I get this visual of, so vivid of my mother crying in her room, sitting on her bed, and looking at my picture and sobbing uncontrollably because her beloved, only beloved son had killed himself. And from that, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it that night. As violent, as crazy, and reckless as I was, I just couldn't end it there. I wanted to find out, figure that if there's this voice, if that was real, if there was any glimpse or even an ounce of hope, was that or is that really God? Strangely, a calmness came over me, this peace that I've never experienced uh, because so many things were going on in my life. I was in so much trouble and, th and, 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 and all of these things were happening and you know, I, I felt this peace 
that I haven't felt in a long time. I will make it home to see another day. Now understand this. I did not have God in my life. I was wicked, wayward, sinful. I was a rebellious prodigal son. I was the God of my own life. I was stiff-necked in every sense of that word. I worshipped myself, my job. Money, power, and respect is what I worshipped. But like the Israelites, I deserved death. But yet, the Lord showed me his mercy. Holy Spirit came, his presence covered me, and he would not allow the devil to snuff me out. Three days later, uh, for the first time in my life, without my mother forcing me to go to church or begging me to go to church or, or, or things like that, I went to church by myself for the first time. I, I wanted to go to church. I sat in the back. Uh, I remember distinctly it was the third week of December. It was a Christmas service uh, in this big Korean church. It was my mother's church. And all these different ministries came up to do you know, performances and things of like that because it was a Christmas service. And I remember uh, uh, it was a handicap ministry. I think they were called Mira. I'm not sure of the name. And as they were performing, it was actually very sad because you know, they had this one little girl who would come up to the stage and she's doing body worship, but you know, she couldn't really raise her arm and, and things of like that. We had, and then there was an older gentleman that came up and obviously you can tell that he was in a lot of pain and it was just a sad sight. But as I'm watching this thing, something comes over me. Something comes over me, and I'm thinking back to my life. Man, on the worst day, on their worst day, can't compare to your best day. They can't even go to the bathroom by themselves. And here you are crying and complaining. Something came over me, and I started to cry. And, and, and I wasn't just crying. I mean, I had tears dripping. I mean, it was like I was, I was soaking wet. I'm like going like, <laughs> like this, and, and snot's flying everywhere. And, and people are watching me like, what's wrong with this guy? He's hyperventilating. You know, like I didn't care because I wanted this Jesus. If these people on their worst day can't compare to my best day, if they're up here praising Jesus or worshiping Jesus, I wanted this Jesus for myself. I wanted this Jesus to come into my life and to save me, and to take me away from the troubles that I was in. So I began to repent. I began to ask God, God, forgive me for the way that I used to live my life. Forgive me for all the bad things, the, the great sins that I committed. Come into my life. I want you. Forgive me. Give me a new life. I want to be with you. And if you save me, then I'll even become a part-time pastor for you. Be careful what you promise to God, right? So afterwards, I asked the pastor, um, I, like a few weeks after, I said, hey, you know, I'm Dennis Kim, man. I don't cry. First of all, I don't come to church. I'm a tough guy. You know, you, you must have heard about me because I'm the man, right? But I was crying, man. I couldn't control myself. And, you know, what is this thing? And he said, those are the tears of repentance. God has welcomed you into his family. So you, know, you are now saved. Welcome to the family of God. Thus started my real relationship with God. God's presence fills the deepest needs of our lives. Great ending. All is well now, right? So I thought. But that would not be the end. I thought, now that I'm saved, you know, God is on my side. God's going to put me back as a cop. Um, um, everything will be good. I'll be a nice cop, right? Uh, I only have one relationship. I won't even cheat on her. And, and, and I'll give money to the KM and to the EM. I'll be a good boy. But I had to reap what I had sown. I still had this case against me. And this is extremely shameful and something that I deeply regret even to this day. But I was a bad cop. I was a corrupt cop. I took a bribe as a, um, as a public official. 
Now, this case took about three years, and, and many things happened, and, and for time's sake, I can't go into it all, but, you know, I resigned from the police department. Um, I mean, I would have been fired anyways, either way, and I pled guilty to receiving a bribe and was sentenced to federal prison. Never in a million years did I think the super cop, right, would go to prison. I mean, I locked so many people up, I sent people to prison, but now you're sending me, you're locking me down. I was sent far away uh, for my own safety uh, to a place called Lewisburg Federal Prison in Pennsylvania. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Pennsylvania. It's gloomy, it's dark, you know, no offense to Pastor Dave, I know he's from there. I remember they stripped me naked and took everything down to my underwear. The only thing I had was my Bible, and I brought it here with me today. This Bible that was given to me in, in high school uh, by my uh, youth pastor, this was the only thing that I had uh, bought in. And this Bible had never been opened before then. You could hear the crackling noise as you open it, right? Um, open before I started my walk with the Lord. Once inside, I feared my safety. I was an ex-cop. I made a ton of arrests. Would there be any perps or guys that I locked up? Would somebody recognize my face? So I shaved my head. I grew out a beard. I put glasses on. And, and just in case, um, I gained a lot of weight so I wouldn't get pushed around. Or worse, bad things wouldn't happen to me. Or at least I can fight back or they would have to knock me out. After check-in, I walked down to the Hall of Shame to my cell. Everyone was looking at me. And I couldn't even look them back in the R.I. because everyone looked like a terrorist. I was so scared out of my mind. I was one of the few Asian dudes in there. Who would I pledge myself to, the blacks or the Latinos? Would they even accept me because I wasn't black or Latino? Do I go with the whites? You know, would I be beaten up or worse? Would I be physically violated? And, and all of those things, I was doomed. My first two nights, I couldn't sleep. You know, I feared that someone would want retaliation. They would recognize me, that someone would come to snuff me out. You know, they would come jack me up and cut me with a razor while I was sleeping. Two days later, Sunday came. I found out that uh, there's a church service, actually, that's run by the inmates. And I contemplated, do I go to church? Do I really want to go to church or not? I really didn't want to go. This place was unbearable. I mean, I, I don't think I could survive this thing. I won't make it through this thing. I just wanted to find the smallest hole and just stuff myself in there and, and, and do my time in that way. But I forced myself to go. And as I got to this uh, makeshift church or the cafeteria, uh, there was this big black guy standing there like he's a, he's a, he's a bouncer at a club. Right? He had my legs for his arms. He was a mammoth of a man. And coincidentally, they called him Tiny. <laughs> Immediately, I wanted to turn back because I thought, he won't let me in, man. He won't let me in. He won't let this Asian boy in. You know, maybe it's for blacks only, you know. And he said, as soon as he sees me, he says, yo, like in that deep voice, like big dude, big voice, you here for church? And I said, yes. <laughs> I squeak. He then used his massive tree trunk arms. I thought he was going to hit me or something. And he grabs me and he hugs me and embraces me and says, welcome to church. I was frozen. Now understand this in prison, uh, you don't 
hug, you don't shake hands, you don't say things that are too nice to each other. Only thing you would do if you liked each other was, would be a fist bump, right? Because uh, this is before COVID, but nobody wants to get sick in prison because they don't give you medication. It's very hard to see a doctor. So you're very cognizant of, you know, trying to stay germ or disease free. So you, there's no physical touch. But he would hug me and welcome me to the church. You know, while inside, they gave me a love gift basket, is what they called it, which had things like toothbrush and toothpaste and, and soap and, like, you know, uh, shower slippers because for the dirty uh, bathrooms and stuff like that, for the dirty showers. In prison, you have to buy everything. Not, pe- not too many people know, but the initial things that prison gives you aren't good enough. They're crap, right? Even the bare necessities. But these Christian inmates would give out of their own stash into the love gift basket for all the newcomers to church, and not only to just the Christians, but to everyone else, all the new inmates that would come in. This was definitely noticed by everyone, including the guards, the staff, the other inmates, the Muslims, and all, everybody. There was something different about these Christian brothers, Christian inmates. They were being the light in a dark place. They were carrying their little light. Let this light of mine shine. And it was noticed by all. Just as a side note, this is what church welcoming should be, right? And this is why we should all have uh, such a heart uh, for church welcoming. You know, these brothers welcomed me. I mean, I was so lost. I was so scared and so out of place. And they welcomed me into their midst, right? Into the midst of God. They ushered the presence of God that they carried. They ushered that presence to usher me into the presence of God with a smile, a handshake, a hug, kind words. I pray that we too might be a church that is so welcoming to all the people that come through those doors and into our lives, that we too can show the love of Christ. We too can show and give you know, these brothers, you know, everybody works in prison, so they make very little money. And, um, you know, so their resources are very um, limited. But with their limited resource, they still gave into this love offering basket. Right? Us, too, we have resources, and God has gifted us with those things so that we, too, can give and welcome and carry our little light. This was the start of my church experience at Lewisburg Prison where the worship team was hands and feet and clap uh, um, and our voices, and we had a broken-down organ that was uh, being played by, uh, he was actually a politician uh, down south somewhere uh, where he, he got into trouble as well. Brother Ernie was his name. And the pastors were the inmates who loved God, and their only resource was the Bible, the King James Version. They, oh, the black people, they loved the King James, right? I still have a little bit of a tough time, but it was awesome. You know, we would have prayer meetings and, and Bible studies all throughout the week. You know, our outer appearance is that we're inmates. And in, inside, you don't have a name. You have a number. You go by a number, right? But God saw us on the inner as his children. We weren't a number, but God remembered our names, His presence put a fire in our hearts for him and our community and for each other. We did life together as a community in God, and God just blessed that. 
You know, I don't have time to uh, share all the great things that happened inside, but the worship inside, that was something special as the Holy Spirit was moving. God's presence fills the deepest needs of our lives. So whenever I share this testimony, uh, it's usually the brothers, the younger brothers, they come up to me like, uh, they want to know, hey, have you ever gotten to a fight or, or you know, um, have you ever gotten beaten up? Or, you know, what they really want to ask is, you know, were you violated or anything like that, right? Now, remember, I was scared out of my mind. You know, I fear those things. I shaved my head, and over time, my hair grew out. And the answer is, no, I wasn't violated because I had Tiny as my bodyguard. But on the real, fear, false evidence appearing real, melted as God's presence came. Right? Not a single hair was touched. Why? Because God says so. In Luke 12, why even the hairs in your head are all numbered. Fear not. You're not, you're of more value than many sparrows. So I believe the word of God. I believe that word of God was for me. And I believe that the word of God is alive and truth. And I spoke that into my life. Thus, I had protection of God. I had the provision of God. I had the word of God in my life. Much like the Israelites, I deserved my punishment. But in my desert prison journey, I undeservedly had his protection, provision, and his blessing over me. I experienced his presence every day. I mean, when they allowed me to go on the walk on the track, I would feel him in the sunlight. I would feel him like if he was just right next to me. Uh, I would feel him in the sunlight and nature and the skies and all of these things. And, and you know, he, like, it was as if he was walking with me, going through this hardship with me. And he said, I got you, son. It's going to be all right. You're going to make it. This time, I didn't question him. I didn't try to submit him under me, but this time I bowed before him, worshipped him. And in his loving presence, God was humbling me. He was molding me. He was changing me. He was transforming my heart and healing me in so many ways that I had need of healing. My world and my empire that I built so hard, I worked so hard to build, had crumbled. But I needed that to happen. God allowed those things to happen because I can get into God's presence. It's something better. It's the best. He came to build me up, and now he was with me. But I realized he had been with me throughout this whole ordeal. It wasn't just my salvation moment that he came into my life, but he had been there from the get-go. And, he had, uh, and I realized that I could not be without him. It is my cry and my declaration, I will not go anywhere, not without you, God. You know, my Bible, I'm going to show you my Bible here, is very symbolic of me. You know, this Bible used to have a um, hard cover. So when I wanted to bring this in, the guards said, you, gotta, uh, you can't bring anything hard because you might you stick a knife in there or a razor in there. So I had to cut out the hard cover, and, um, you know, it's, it's malleable now. It's moving. It's not stiff neck in any ways. And, you know, this was me. God needed to cut out the hardness of my heart and needed to bandage me up. I had white tape, and I just put white tape around it, right? But what I really need to is get to the, get to the meat of it. This is me, right? It's very symbolic that he covered me, and he wrapped me up with his mercy and put me together again. You know, having been stripped of everything, all things taken away from me, for the first time in my life, I had true freedom. He came to save, set free, and deliver me from my stiff-necked ways. As our verse speaks, he made all his goodness pass before me 
and proclaim before me his name, the Lord. God showed me his glory. He even gave me a nickname. My name is DJ. DJ, I'm like, DJ, why are you calling me DJ, God? I mean, I used to be in the club all the time, but I didn't DJ. But he said, your name is declaring Jesus from now on. He said, from now on, you're going to declare Jesus to all my people, all glory and honor to him alone. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up. By no mean am I good, not even close. By no mean is my story over, it's still going. Just like your story, your story's still going. I'm flawed and broken and just like many of us are here today, but our stories aren't done. Your story, our story is still being written by God and is covered in his mercy and grace. His presence is with you. James 4 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As we journey and walk this path, uh, I want to encourage you, wherever you may be, let this be the cry, the declaration, the profession of your heart, that come what may, but not without you. Not without you, God. I got to walk the desert, but not without you, God. I got to climb this mountain, but not without you, Lord. I'm in need of healing. I'm desperate for some healing, but not without you. I got problems in my marriage and my relationships, but not without you. I'm single and lonely, but not without you, God. My job sucks. I need a job, but not without you. I have anxiety, depression, and, and, and stress, but not without you. I'm unfulfilled. I'm not happy in my life. I'm downcasted, but I say not without you. Come high, low storm of hell, I will not go anywhere without you. I go with you wherever you go, Lord. I follow you. Why? Because we all know God's presence and only his presence fills the deepest needs of our lives. And our greatest need is that we cannot live without him. Let's pray. I want to encourage you to invite the presence of God. Maybe you've been away from the Lord. Maybe you haven't prayed. Maybe you haven't just said, you know what? Maybe you haven't sat down and said, God, come into my life. I need your presence. I'm desperate for your presence. Isaiah 30 says this, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into your life. Moses asked God, show me your glory. I mean, the audacity, I mean, just the boldness and the confidence of this man. How did he get so close to God and, and ask such a thing? Simply, Moses spent just a lot of time with God, the tent of meetings. So much so that he would come out glowing, radiant after the tent of meetings. Today, in this moment, Jesus is connecting us to our prayer tents, the tent of meetings with God. Jesus made a way for us to not only talk to God, but to hear from Him and to commune with Him and to fall in love with Him yet again and to remember the first love, to recapture the first love. And if you love Him, we can love Him even more. Jeremiah 33 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known.
Yeah, would you continue to invite the Holy Spirit into your life? Just like any loving father, he misses talking to his son, to his daughter. Lord, we pray. God, we pray. We need you more. More of you, Lord. Less of us, all of you, and none of us. What we need in this season, Lord, with all that's going on, is still you, Luca. You alone, you are the answer. You alone hold the keys of life. You alone give us life and life to the abundant. No system or government or great leaders can do only what you can do. So, Lord, have your way. We bask in your presence. We bask and we gaze on your beauty. We say, come, have your way. Show us your glory. Heavenly Father, as we repent and as we humble ourselves before you, thank you, Father, that we too have found favor in your sight because of Jesus and that you know each and every single one of us by our names. We pray that your goodness will continue to pass before us and that we will proclaim your name, the Lord, in any place or avenue or streets or homes or our families and our neighborhoods, our workplace, wherever you send us to. We receive your new mercies and grace. Lord, keep breathing your breath, your redemptive breath to build our stories, our redemptive stories so that we can give you the glory. All glory and honor to you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.